G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Morning New Zealand, 903 here on, on this Thursday as uh, we make our way through in the next three hours to midday with uh, a really cool show. I'm so looking forward to it, particularly talking to Tim Salvey uh, straight after nine o'clock. Uh, well, about five minutes time, actually, four or five minutes time we've talked to Tim Salvey uh, on uh, how things are within the Black Caps, within the Northern Brave. I mean, uh, everything he touches uh, lately is uh, kind of turning to gold, Tim Salvey. He's going through... Uh, a great patch uh, in his uh, cricketing career. Ricardo Ball, 9.30. Uh, this is uh, one of the segments I also look forward to most because uh, Ricardo knows everything about football, and I like football. Uh, just after 10 o'clock, David Long. First time I think we've had David Long on the show. He's a staff tennis reporter. Um, so uh, we shall get his uh, uh, his thoughts on uh, Michael Venus's comments, of course, and uh, happenings overnight. Some great tennis, really great tennis. Uh, I think it's uh, been one of the better Australian Opens. Uh, Ollie Ritchie, Sam Ackerman will be the panel. Yanni Witzel will be the breakers uh, forward coming with us uh, just after 11 o'clock. The breakers and dire need of performance. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So uh, we'll have a stump smithy, maybe a couple of other things. A pacing for purpose too, uh, before midday. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, a tribute this morning to our very own Louis Herman Watt. A young man who knows pretty much everything that's going on in the racing game. Uh, yesterday around 11, and he proved it yet again, with such foresight, Louis tipped us into the winner of the first at Matamata. It was Matamoite at uh, a reasonable price too. Uh, the richards Boston combination prevailed, the latter getting this opportunity right, uh, much better than his last performance. Point is, Louis is so insightful, because he, had he tipped this one in the second, it wouldn't even have gone round. Due to an area of the track being unstable and possibly dangerous, the remainder of the card was, of course, abandoned. 99 times out of 100, when a group of jockeys gather to inspect an area of the track, the news won't be good, and who can blame them? You can pack up the truck, change the channel, it's game, set, and match time. Is it my imagination, or does this happen just a little bit too often lately? More's the point, Matter Matter is one of the country's premier race tracks and certainly training tracks. It's high profile. It's not a good look. So who's to blame? Well, probably not the person who has to ring around the various owners to apologise. Probably not the person who has to replan the strategies about the progress or future racing program for each and every horse. And isn't it a slight kick in the guts for all those volunteers and hardy souls who continue year after year used to get it right on the small local tracks pristine for their limited opportunities each year, slightly more sustainable, one would have thought, than abandonments. One of course, uh, but of course their numbers are dwindling due to the preference and focus on the big boys like you know where. Number one gripe for trainers, track. Number one danger for jockeys and horses, the track. And here's a tip Louie won't give you, and uh, like Sergeant Schultz, I know nothing, but I reckon we might be tearing those gripes early next week too. Just picking.
Well, the T20 Super Smash Elimination Finals take place in Dunedin this afternoon with the Firebirds taking on the Canterbury Kings in the men's match before the Otago Sparks come up against the Auckland Hearts in the ladies' version. But sitting in Hamilton or maybe Tauranga or maybe Mount Monganui or wherever his latest house he's bought is, uh, with his feet up is Tim Salvey. Uh, with the Northern Brave already through to the final at Seddon Park on Saturday, and uh, Tim is good enough to join us this morning. Uh, good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, Smithy. How are you going, mate? Hey, listen, um, you've played against Canterbury and Wellington, so who are you tipping today? Um, should be a good game. Um, I've been, yeah, the, watched uh, a lot of the Super Smash throughout the, throughout the campaign, and, and there's been a lot of, lot of tight games, and um, obviously now down to the business end, and and as you know, it's, it's anyone's game who can turn up on the day. And um, two very good sides, um, two different. They've got, they've got power players and match winners sort of stacked throughout their side, whereas your Canterbury side's more a, a well-balanced side that sort of goes together and, and, and gets the job done. So, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting game to watch. Is it a comp that you, you like uh, getting back to? I mean, you, you, your major focus, of course, is international cricket, but we see you guys pop back and every now and then to the comp. Is it something you look forward to? Yeah, I think the guys really enjoy going back to, to domestic cricket. Um, obviously, that's where, where things all started. And um, in this summer, with the nature of, of it being quite a quiet summer internationally, um, there's a few chances to pop back and, and play some domestic games. So um, for me, it's about keep ticking over. Um, and, and what better, better opportunity to do that than uh, going back and playing for... For, for the Northern Brave and, and also got a four-day game uh, next week against Auckland, which is, I guess, ideal preparation leading into that, that test series against South Africa. So, yeah, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I, I'm sure all the guys really enjoy getting back and, and it has been, as I say, a great competition this year to be a part of. Well, it's been four years since uh, Northern won it. Of course, it was the Northern Knights back then. Uh, now the Northern Brave, uh, who have come together with a new purpose under their name, and uh, it, it appears as if it's worked uh, particularly for the men's side of thing in this competition. What, what's been the secret? Um, yeah, I think the guys have uh, guys have played some good cricket throughout. Um, had a reasonably settled side uh, for for majority of the the competition, um, and then um, myself and Trina sort of slipped back in. But I think the bowlers have been outstanding throughout. Um, We've had a couple of nervy sort of chases that that, um, that we've been able to get across the line, um, and I guess winning winning find ways to win uh, hasn't always been pretty, but but they've, they've found different ways to win, and um, I think the last game was was no different. Obviously, Wellington got out to a, got off to an absolute flyer, um, but the guys were able to hang in there and and pull them back to 160 odd, where it looked like they were going to get well over 200 there for for a period of time. So I think. Um, yeah, just different guys stepping up at different times, but I think, in all in all, I think the bowlers have been been outstanding uh, throughout throughout the competition. It's a side that's stacked with talent, with international talent. When you're all available, of course, uh, one of those players that we haven't seen a lot of, I think, since the World Test Championship. To be fair, uh, is Colin de Grandholm. How's how's Colin tracking these days? Yeah, he's been he's been brilliant, especially this uh, this sort of the back half. Um, Obviously, had a bit of a bit of a lean run throughout the winter, um, playing in various competitions around the world. But he showed his class. He's bounced back, and he's he's uh, he's been a massive part for this this side. He obviously holds uh, a lot of power, um, and he's he's played some crucial innings throughout the throughout the especially the back end of this back end of this tournament. So um, yeah, he uh, hasn't obviously played a lot of international cricket since the the World Test Championship final. But uh, but it's great to see him back to to near his best. Um, I think I think I saw a photo of uh, on Facebook of of Kane at the the Black Clash on 
uh, Saturday, Kane Williamson, but haven't seen too much of him around the nets or anything of that type. Uh, can you give us a, an update? Has he, has he been floating around your scene? Um, well, we've had it, our games we've played have been away, so um, I'm sure Kane's uh, back to hitting some balls. Um, it's obviously been a, been a tough sort of year for him, having to sort of negotiate that the elbow injury, so I'm sure he's he probably rushed back a bit quick a couple of times, so I'm, I'm sure he'll be trying to trying to get that right as it's been uh, been niggling away at him for, for a long period of time. So, um, yeah, I'm sure he's been, been hitting balls and doing all his, his rehab. Um, I've sort of left him alone a little bit to to sort of try and, uh, I guess, just enjoy some time away and um, and try and get that elbow right. Okay, well, uh, it looks, uh, for all intents and purposes, Tim, is that the re- remainder of uh, the summer, including um, the Super Smash final, will be played pretty much behind closed doors. Uh, you've had a taste of crowds this year. How frustrating uh, is it from, from your point of view to, to turn up, put on your best show, basically in front of no one? Yeah, as sports sports people, you 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 tend to enjoy um, going out and playing in front of full stadiums, and um, there's no better feeling, especially when you're playing in, in New Zealand and, and playing for your country um, out in front of out in front of your fans. But um, but I guess that's just the the, the current climate we're living in. Um, we've been pretty fortunate here in New Zealand to to have had crowds uh, for majority of our games over the last last two years. Um, so it will be a bit bit strange for for, for people, but um, but yeah, when you have um, you obviously got a Super Smash final on on Saturday, where they're, they're, I think they're trying to have restricted crowds in, in certain parts. But um, but yeah, I guess as as sports people and and I guess entertainers, then you you do like to to play in front of crowds. But um, but yeah, it's just something you have to adapt to. Um, and uh, and and I guess for the rest of the summer, we're going to have to have to find a way to to I guess uh, I guess shift that focus to to play in front of limited crowds, if not no one. Tim, just uh, for those people at home and uh, myself included who are listening in, what is uh, the difference between playing international cricket uh, under an orange light setting as opposed to a red light setting, apart from the crowds? What, what about your protocols, etc.? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not too sure. I haven't looked that far ahead. Um, so, yeah. Um, I see that uh, we've obviously had to shift our the two test matches to, to one venue, um, so it's 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 forever a moving, uh, I guess, an obstacle um, that New Zealand cricket are dealing with, and and us as players are just uh, just trying to, I guess, buy in and, and do our part. But yeah, I'm not too sure what uh, what exactly it is between the the orange and the and the red. So I mean, you we live with it at home, you live with it on the road. Does it get to you? Does it get to you at all? Um, three and a half months on the road uh, just recently, um, and yeah, I think by the end of it, it does does kind of get to you. But I think what gets you gets you through is you, you, the opportunity to, to play for your country, represent New Zealand. Um, it's something that you you can't do forever, and um, it's a real privilege and an honour to do. So um, it's tough, especially when you've got family family back at home and you're spending extended mm-hmm. times away, and then you're you're thrown in a hotel for a for a week or two weeks, um, when you've finished a, a tough tour um, in, a, in a long period on the road, but um, but yeah, it's uh, different people have different struggles with it. Um, but for me, it's about um, I guess that I guess that honour and that, that privilege to, to represent New Zealand and um, the opportunity that that presents is uh, one that can't can't last forever. So I'm um, trying to make make the most of that well whilst we can. 
Uh, our record at Hagley Oval is pretty good. Our record at the Basin Reserve uh, over history has been pretty good as well. But now uh, both test matches, as you say, at Hagley Oval. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, again, again, we found out this morning. Um, uh, forever moving, moving object as well. But, uh, but yeah, two grounds that we've had a lot of success at over over the a number of years now. So um, yeah, it's uh, something worth, something unique, something guys probably have never done before. Played two tests on the same ground. Um, but yeah, as I say, they're two grounds that we've had, we've had a lot of success at. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it should be a great series. South Africa coming off. Uh, a great series against against India, um, so yeah, it sh- shapes up to to I guess uh, be a great way to finish the Test summer. They've uh, announced their their side that is coming, of course, uh, captained by Dean Elgar, but it looks very much uh, dominated by pace. Traditionally, over the years, they've always had great pace bowlers. South Africa, going way back in time, but uh, this uh, attack, which is uh, led by uh, Rabada and Gidi and Co. Uh, looks very, very impressive given the right conditions. Yeah, it is. I think that's going to be a be a challenge. Um, we saw the way that they were able to to get into the Indian side uh, in their conditions. Um, for a few, for a lot of them, um, I think Rabat is the only one that's been here before. So a number of them, it's the first time to New Zealand. But but like you say, they're they're an exciting attack. Um, you you throw Norkia in there, who's injured, and it's a it's a it's a pretty. Uh, Pretty outstanding uh, bowling lineup. The likes of uh, Marco Jensen, the young fellow, has come in and had a great start to his career. And, and like you say, Nangidi and, and Rabada have been uh, been outstanding for South Africa as well. So I guess that presents a, a big challenge for us, but um, but it's something you you enjoy is, is going up against the best, and that's a a pretty tidy tidy bowling lineup. Uh, for those people that like Test cricket, I've just done a few calculations and I've looked at the future tours or future fixtures. That are, uh, you know, for the Black Caps coming up in the next, uh, well, this calendar year, really. So I'm looking at the Test. Bangladesh, of course, we've had the two. South Africa, two. A prospect of playing England uh, three times. Ireland once. Pakistan twice. Sri Lanka twice. Uh, that, to me, is, what, a 12-Test calendar year for Test cricket, which for those of us that love the game is fantastic. And for you, those of you that uh, play the game, it's quite exceptional because it doesn't happen very often these days. No, you're right. It's uh, We're sort of... You're struggling to get sort of six or seven in a in a in a year, and to to hear those numbers, it's it's, it's a player. I know the, the the guys thoroughly enjoy playing Test cricket, um, and and I think the the one that really excites the guys is the three match series in England. Um, a lot of a lot of two match series played this. Uh, well, for us, there's a lot of two match series played, um, and the opportunity to go over to England and play a, a three match series is uh, is something I know the guys are guys are really looking forward to. So um, yeah, as a as I'm like you, Smithy, I love Test cricket, and um, and the more of it, the better. So um, it's, it's very pleasing and and uh, music to the ears to hear to hear there's a bit of Test cricket in the next twelve months. Yeah, it is uh, absolutely all those games. Incidentally, uh, folks, uh, our World Test Championship matches apart from the one, uh, the scheduled one against Ireland. Uh, I understand. So there you go, Tim. Uh, around the the Test match arena, New Zealand arena now for fourteen years, eighty three. Tests uh, under your belt, 329 wickets. You're, you're sort of in a little contest uh, with your great mate Trent Bolt there. The numbers motivate you? Are you a stats man? Um, I think every when you play for a while, your your numbers you tend to generate some numbers, and um, at the end of the day, I guess that's what a lot of people people judge you on. But um, but yeah, I think it's something that 
that the guys don't intend to go out and um, and worry about too much. If you go out and do your job, and my job's to take wickets, and and the the better you do the job, the more more wickets you take, which I guess in in so mean the the better stats you have at the end of the day. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's been great to be a part of uh, the test side for for such a long period of time. We've been through a, a range of um, I guess errors, and and we've had. A lot of uh, it's been a bit of a ride, ups and downs, and um, and and yeah, it's just like a, like I'm like I said earlier, I'm like you. I absolutely love Test cricket, and um, been very fortunate to to enjoy it for 14 years, and hopefully there's uh, there's a few more years left yet. Well, Jimmy Anderson's 39, mate. How how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, I think the guys guys are uh, a lot fitter and um, and look after themselves a lot better now than than uh, than I guess when I first started. So, I think you'll start to see players play till they're till they're older. Um, look at Ross. Ross is touching on 38, and um, and he was still still um, being able to to perform at this level. So I don't see I don't see age as a number. I never really have. If someone's 16 and they're good enough and then uh, I don't see why they shouldn't play. And if someone's 40 and they're good enough, then I don't see why they, they, they shouldn't play. I guess there's an expectation and a, and a, um, a level of, of, I guess, that you have to perform to to, to play at international level. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, hopefully there's there's a few more years left, left yet. I remember a young Tim Southey who made that such an impressive statement at McLean Park on debut against England. Uh, since then, of course, uh, you've uh, developed a lot of other things about your game uh, Tim, uh, two I'd really like to hear about is uh, you, you made just, you've turned yourself into a, a really, really good slip fielder. Uh, how, how did that come about? What was the thinking there? Um, yeah, it was sort of thrown upon me. Um, it was the test match at Eden Park against England, the, the um, drawn test match. And Brendan had a sore hamstring, so he um, he was captain at the time. And he didn't want to stand in slips. He sort of wanted to keep moving. Um, and I'd never fielded in slips before. And he said, you got good hands. You jump in there. Um, so I was a little bit nervous sitting in there at I think second or third slip, um, and then Ian Bell nicked one and off Neil Wagner, and I managed to hold on to it. And sort of the rest is the rest has been history. Um, been sort of been stuck in there, stuck in there since. So um, yeah, I enjoy joy feeling in there. Um, obviously, uh, yeah, it's, it's saves a bit of you, you look down and there's a left hand, right hand batter on, and your your poor fast bowling mates trudging from side to side um, certainly don't miss that but uh, but yeah I enjoy being in the game um, I've always in, enjoyed fielding and um, and especially in, in test match thing is you know, you're, you're always in the game and, and the slips so it's a, it's a part of I've really enjoyed developing over the years and what about when they tapped you on the, the shoulder and said uh, uh, Tim you're captain uh, you're captain for this game for this series um, what about that how did you, you take to that yeah, again, another, I guess, something I hadn't done a lot of. Um, having played a lot of age group cricket with, with Kane, um, he was sort of always the, the captain as well. So um, it's something that, yeah, I never really did a lot of. Um, and especially, certainly when I first started playing for New Zealand, I never thought I'd ever have the opportunity to, to captain our country. So that was a, yeah, it was a special, special moment, being able to do it a, a few times um, in the, especially in the T20s, um, and yeah, it's always a, a great honour. Um, I, I really enjoy thinking about the game, and I really enjoy being engaged in the game. So um, yeah, it was uh, a nice, and a lot of the time that T20 side's been quite a young side, so it's been uh, been quite refreshing and quite quite enjoyable as well.
Okay, Tim, uh, look, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Absolutely fantastic to catch up with you. Lovely to, to hear that uh, you're uh, thinking long-term and uh, you're really still keen about uh, uh, your career in all four th- three forms of the game. So, hey, good luck for the Brave um, on the weekend. Uh, but uh, more importantly from us as well, good luck uh, for that series against South Africa. I think it's going to be very defining and an absolute battle between you seamers. Good luck for that. Cheers for that, Smithy. Yep, always uh, good to talk to Tim Southey and man, has he developed himself into a world-class cricketer in a lot of areas and um, just captaincy as well, just like that. Uh, picked up on that one too. So uh, he's been good. He's been very, very good in the, the Southey-Bolt combination. Long may it stay. Um, and yeah, 39. 39, Anderson Broad, 39 and 37, I think. Goodness me. Uh, fantastic. So um, look... Uh, what can we talk about today? Look, double eight, double three. What's your, what's actually with the the view in mind to those uh, that big test match program perhaps in the next twelve months? What's your preference these days? Uh, are you still test cricket lovers, and why? T twenty grab you, and why? Or uh, uh, fifty over cricket, and why? Well, I mean, if you had to, if you had to only had tickets to buy one, uh, enough money to buy tickets for one of those three forms of the game, what would you buy it for? What would, what really would you turn up and watch? And why? Uh, I'd love to hear your, your, your thoughts on that. Double eight, double three. I know there's a lot of cricket purists out there. 0800 uh, 1508811. And what about Tim Southey, eh? What about Tim Southey uh, and how he has turned out to be the cricketer he has uh, over the last, what, 13 years? 83 test matches. You know, if he plays uh, 10 or 11 this year, 90-odd, um, of course, that'll take him past Richard Hadley. Uh, then in terms of games played, and then you start looking at getting two or three wickets each time, um, maybe, and you start to head towards 400 test wickets. And then 431 doesn't look that far away, does it? 924 here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, you uh, may have heard us talking about uh, the two test matches against South Africa, both now being played at Hagley Oval. Well, New Zealand Cricket this morning have released a new revised schedule of home summer fixtures. So yes, both of those uh, will be at the same ground, Hagley Oval. Uh, the White Ferns against India, that's a 1T20 international and five one-day internationals in preparation for the World Cup. Well, uh, at the moment, all those matches are now scheduled to be played at John Davies Oval in Christchurch. Uh, sorry, no, in Queenstown. John Davies Oval in Queenstown, I uh, reiterate there. Queenstown, yeah. So hopefully... Uh, with all the things that have been called off down there, you'll get the opportunity anyway to see our ladies prior to uh, the World Cup. Now, the Black Caps against Australia, uh, three T20s, all these matches that will be played at McLean Park in Napier, uh, which is a real bonus for Hawke's Bay people. There is a, a qualification there, and that is, of course, uh, MIQ spots being available. Um, so uh, uh, being able to be accommodated in that way, there is a bit of a bracket there about that. And New Zealand are also due to play the Netherlands uh, for the first time I can recall on these, uh, uh, these uh, particular venues. Uh, I think maybe outside the World Cup anyway. Uh, one T20 and three One Day Internationals. First two matches uh, will be played at the Bay Oval in Tauranga. And the last two matches will be played at Seddon Park in Hamilton, John. So there you go. That's revised uh, edition. We're a little bit late for the news. Let's pop over to Trudy now as quickly as we can.
Well, there's always plenty of football to talk about uh, any time of the year, and that's why every week we turn to SENZ's Extra Time host, Ricardo Ball, uh, to come on the show and help us take a look at the beautiful game because, uh, quite frankly, I don't know anyone uh, in New Zealand that knows more about it. And, uh, Ricardo, good morning to you. It is uh, a busy week forthcoming for the All Whites. Uh, Danny Hayes done it again. He's been able to uh, be over there in the UAE and arrange some more fixtures, this time Saturday against Jordan, Uzbekistan uh, next Wednesday, um, and uh, really they'll be two quality opposition, I would imagine, just to step up from some of the ones they've been playing recently. Yeah, particularly I think um, you know the the Uzbekis they've uh, they've been going really well uh, in Asian qualifying. Uh, they're they're one of the better teams uh, running around in Asia outside of the big boys that you think about, you know, the Australias, uh, the Japans, uh, and the Koreas. So they'll they'll definitely be a uh, uh, a big test for the Whites, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because Danny's got a few players that he can't call on due to COVID restrictions in the countries they're playing in, and uh, that has meant he's had to had to call up a few new names. And uh, you know, from the sounds of it, he's still not 100% convinced about what his best eleven is, so he's still going to try a few things out. Oh, I'm just looking through the list there. Of course, uh, the new goalkeeper coming in is young uh, Matthew Gould, who's playing his football in Altrincham um, in England. Of course, son of uh, Johnny Gould, uh, but the names there's some still some uh, very familiar names uh, there. I see Winston Reid, uh, Tommy Smith, Bill Tuiloma, who's uh, Joe Bell, uh, and then of course um, Chris Wood up front. So still those players available to him. Uh, but alongside Winston Reid's name, 26 caps, I see unattached. In other words, what is he up to at the moment? Where is he playing his footy? Well, he's not playing anywhere at the moment. He hasn't been he hasn't been signed by anybody yet. Um, so at the moment, he is um, hanging out a lot with uh, Stephen Taylor uh, from Full Reports, um, who has based himself now in Dubai. Uh, they've been training together, and uh, Stephen's actually just taken over as manager of a third third tier team over there, uh, which is sort of really basically a. Uh, I guess you'd say a development team that looks to bring youth players in and then sell them on. So that, that's his new job. And uh, yeah, Winston's been training with him. Uh, given that he's taken that job on, uh, maybe there is something there for Winston in uh, the Middle East. Um, I don't know it'd be, whether it would be with Stephen's team. Uh, if he wants to get into coaching, it might be a pathway, it might be a foot in the door. But at this stage, yeah, no, uh, no signature anywhere for, for Winston Reid. So he is still unattached, unfortunately. I mean, it's not ideal. And I'm sure going forward, you know, with uh, the qualifiers in June, if we get out of the Oceania qualifiers, uh, there have to be a question mark over whether or not Winston Reid's part of the playing squad if he is not playing regularly. Ricardo, let's uh, look at uh, these playoffs that are coming up. No, not too far away. Obviously, there's been conjecture about the timing of them that haven't been it hasn't been absolutely perfect for availability of players etc but um, what are the what are the question marks um, that um, you know that Danny Hay has to sort out here in these games that are available to him and the, the build up to those uh, those playoff matches what what are the areas you think are concerning him the most well, I, don't, I still don't think he's nailed on with the right back um, you know and and the systems that he tends to play the fullbacks are very important um, so, you know, I think left back, you've got Libby Kikache is nailed on your number one starter, and that's 
you know, you've got a couple of other options there that can that can fill in if you need if you need somebody. But I mean, you know, he's tried Nico Kerwin, who I think's gone all right um, at at right back, and Kelvin Kalua, who's um, up with uh, Declan Edge up in Denmark at the moment. Um, and uh, so both those players played in the last two windows, and they looked okay. Uh, they they did the job that they were asked to do. But I don't think Danny's 100% convinced that either of them are the international quality right back that he needs going forward. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in this window because for the first time uh, in a while he's had he's got Tim Payne available. And uh, I know Tim Payne's been playing pre- predominantly at centre-back for the Phoenix, but when he first arrived at the Phoenix, they played him as a right back. And uh, he's got a really good engine. He goes all day. Uh, he's got a bit of pace about him. He can whip it across. And uh, I think uh, he might be one that uh, Danny's really looking at hard as to uh, potentially being the All-White's number one right back. Uh, he's also got Bill Tuiloma up there. I'm not sure how much Bill's played at right back. Uh, he At the Portland Timbers, he's nominally a holding midfielder or a centre-back, but he hasn't played a lot out on the right, uh, at a right back. So I think Danny will be thinking that Tim's probably the best option and he's got Bill there to have a look at as well. But I think that's definitely one area uh, he will be targeting to to see if he can find someone that he believes when it comes to the time to play the big teams, whoever they may be uh, in the playoffs, uh, that we've got an international quality right back. Uh, Ricardo Ball with us, uh, of course, talking football. Uh, We talked about the Phoenix uh, going into last weekend, uh, men's and women's side of the draw. Um, a, a good result in the end for the men. They got up over West United 2-1. And uh, the ladies uh, conceding a, an own goal and going down 1-0 to Adelaide United, uh, Ricardo. So encouraging, encouraging for both, I think. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, I, I think uh, we've seen the, the women's team gradually uh, improve and uh, they, they're holding very good teams out. Uh, you know, I mean, it was unfortunate they conceded that own goal the way they did because uh, it hadn't been a backs-to-the-wall type performance. They had caused Adelaide problems. Um, but I think that is a problem for Gemma Lewis at the moment is they're not scoring anywhere near enough goals. Um, you know, mm. it's great if you can if you can hold a team out like they, they held Adelaide out. Um, that's fantastic. But if you put a goal or two on them, then you're setting yourself self up for a result. And they just, at the moment, they're not able to do that when they do have their opportunity. So I think a big work on for the Phoenix going forward, the Phoenix women's team will be taking those opportunities. Um, they'll probably be doing a lot of finishing drills, I think, uh, because, you know... <laughs> It's easy to it's easy to play well. Well, not easy to play well, but it's you can play well and lose a game like they've lost. Um, but those games shouldn't be lost if if you are giving the opposition as much a hard time as they're giving you. Uh, they just need to take those opportunities so you know they can defend a one 0 lead rather than trying to play at nil all and then conceding a goal like they've done. And I, th- I think the signs are positive for them. And you know, for the men, like you say, I mean, Western United were third in the league, so. And that's a really good result. And uh, Gail Sandoval, uh, what a debut for him. I mean, he looks a real player. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like I said to you the other week, Smithy, you know, uh, previously it was shut down when Episcopo and you shut the Phoenix down. All of a sudden, they've got two players who uh, are, are being really creative and, and causing problems. And I thought it was Alex Rufa's best game in a while as well. So uh, positive signs definitely for the men. Well, is it as simple as being a Melbourne benefit at the top? The, their two franchises... Uh, there is it, is it done and dusted in that regard? And what about this MacArthur side, uh, who the Phoenix actually scheduled to play next? Not this weekend, but the seventh of February. Uh, tell us a wee bit about MacArthur and and the, the fact that they've been so impressive and so threatening so early in the, in their history. 
Yeah, MacArthur have got a lot of money. Uh, it's, uh, it's a couple of guys who uh, were formerly involved, I think it's Sydney United, who are one of the uh, old NFL teams. Uh, they've bankrolled MacArthur. I mean, uh, you just have to look at the signings they made in the off-season. I joked, uh, Smithy, in uh, you know, pre-season that the easiest job in football has been the MacArthur head scout because you basically just sit on your bum on the couch, have a beer and watch all the other A-League teams and then pick their best mm. players because that's what they did. You know, they signed uh, Ulysses De Vere uh, from the Phoenix for one, uh, but they also signed uh, Melbourne City uh, winger Craig Noon as well. And they, they've signed a bunch of players from other teams. Uh, they were pre-season looking really ropey at the back. Uh, I think in... I think I'm right in recalling these numbers. In the first three, uh, in their three preseason games they played, they conceded 17 goals, um, which was, you know, pretty alarming. So I thought, oh, you know, they've got a lot of work to do. But as soon as the season hit, they seemed to have sorted that out. And, uh, you know, the Phoenix have played them once before. We played them first game of the season. And we're unlucky not to win that game. We dominated the first half definitely and probably the first half of the second half as well. But... Phoenix looked a bit leggy later in the game, and MacArthur got back into it. But you know that was a that was a team that has had a whole lot of money spent on it, uh, and it was a good result for the Phoenix first up to get them uh, a, a, to get a draw out of them. And you know I think if you ask Goofy um, uh, Tale, he'd have been disappointed they didn't take all three points from that game because they they were the better team and they had better chances. So I think there's every chance the Phoenix can get a result against them uh, when they play on the seventh as well. Just uh, finally, uh, Ricardo, it's never over till it's over. Roy Hodgson, tender age of 74, is back coaching the Premier League uh, for Watford, uh, who have not won a game since November the 30th. Uh, even Fergie, what was he, oh, 71, 72, when he, he pulled up sticks at Man 74, 74? Yeah, I know, it's crazy. I mean... Hodgson was in charge at Crystal Palace last season, obviously, um, and then his contract ran out and they decided to go another way and they brought Patrick Vieira and I think everybody thought, well, that's it. You know, Hodgson will be popping up on the odd uh, football chat show maybe, but otherwise he'll be up with his uh, feet up and, uh, and watching everything on telly. But I know he's back. It's, a, it's an interesting call from Watford. Watford have tended in the past to make these bizarre um, appointments from their field guys that you've never heard of. Uh, you know, that have been coaching and, uh, you know, uh, I think one of the, uh, the coaches they started this season with, he had made his name coaching in the Ukrainian Premier League or something like that. He's a Spanish mm. guy. Um, and uh, they, they have a, uh, this history of pulling the rabbit out of the hat and going, you're going, who's, who's this guy they've appointed? So for them to go to Hodgson is really interesting because obviously he's not a long-term appointment, but he is somebody that knows the Premier League really, really well. And I think they see him as a safe pair of hands to make sure they stay in the Premier League. They'll be looking at Newcastle, the money that Newcastle are spending, and they'll be looking at the fact that there's you know four teams basically fighting it out for one spot to stay in the Premier League next season. And they'll be thinking, well, we need somebody that knows the league, somebody that can get us organised quickly, and uh, somebody that can keep us up so that money keeps coming in from all the uh, Premier League TV deals. So I think it's a smart deal. I, whether Hodgson will be there next season, I doubt uh, it feels like it's a bit of a firefighter mission, um, a bit of a red deer, uh, but we'll have to see. And uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a change of tack from what from, from what previously seen. Well, we've run out of time, uh, Ricardo, so uh, we'll have to leave it at that. But uh, thanks very much again. Uh, we'll focus next uh, week more on uh, the top side of the the EPL and uh, Man City, Liverpool, that bracket, and Spurs, of course, still there with a few games in hand. Ricardo, thanks very much. No worries, Smitty. Go well.
HS uh, Ricardo Ball there. It's 9.45 here on SENZ. We've got some text to get through uh, and a multi before 10 o'clock. You're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Chris has come in and says, Smithy, I am happy to eat some humble pie. Uh, in regards to Tim Southey, I was one who thought he was done as a white ball bowler after the 2015 World Cup. Since then, after a brief slump in form, he has gone from strength to strength. In all formats, I think our current pace trio are underrated around the world purely because we don't play as many tests as England, Australia and India. It's great to see these guys getting some plaudits as world test champions. Um, good morning, uh, Smithy. Uh, good morning, Ian. Says Brian, off topic, but... Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas display at the Oz Open last night was nothing short of brilliant some of the shots he played last night were stunning the next world number one perhaps says Brian Wall certainly uh, he was the underdog going into that match last night Um, uh, and uh, he absolutely against Sinner he turned it around uh, very quickly in fact he snuffed him out very quickly in straight sets and dominated that match where no one really expected him to do it like that we're going to be talking some uh, tennis with David Long a stuffed tennis reporter of course after 10 o'clock this morning, we'll talk about that uh, match there. Um, and just uh, reiterating uh, those uh, changes of venues, uh, if you're thinking about going to the cricket this year, South Africa Black Cap Series, both games at Hagley Oval. White Ferns against India, John Davies Oval in Queenstown. Uh, they'll be there for a while. Uh, one T20 and five one-day internationals. Uh, the Australians uh, versus the Black Caps, all now at McLean Park in Napier, three T20s. Uh, of course, these are all governed by the fact that you can't have uh, really have any more than 100 spectators at this stage. Uh, the Black Caps against Netherlands are one T20 uh, and three one-day internationals. Uh, just bear in mind um, that David White has said uh, they're looking at all sorts of uh, contingency plans regarding uh, the health of all participants, etc. These are all taken into account. The ease of getting uh, domestic flights around the country under the protocol system. So putting them all in one place and keeping them there sort of make, makes uh, sense in that regard. But also, he says, while crowds were likely to be severely reduced because of protocols under the red setting of the COVID uh, framework system, Mr White said he knew those venues and centres had lost fixtures but would be sorely disappointed. Uh, the current environment demands we take every possible measure, ensure that people are safe and well, deliver a summer of international cricket uh, with the least uh, possible disruption. Uh, they're still looking, though, at the possibility of the concept of allowing venues to accommodate multiple pods of 100. Multiple pods, spread them out around the ground. In other words, you see this in other fixtures around New Zealand, particularly in rugby, actually, you've seen it. Places like Inglewood, they've done it superbly, so I don't see why we can't do it in other venues around the country. So that's the news uh, for cricket lovers. Cricket, yes, but perhaps not where you thought it was going to be. 9.53 here on SENZ. On SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when the fold up Smithy's multi Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today Well, uh, we're going pretty well I think it's fair to say Tapas got up in a thriller last night To uh, to beat Sinner uh, Very dominant he was, 2.18 um, Collins to beat Cornet, $1.33 And the Sixers won in the last ball to beat the Strikers in the Big Bash last night at a buck eighty-three, so that was five dollars thirty. Got that one up, so uh, we're even. Stevens here uh, in terms of uh, how we've gone so far with our multis. So uh, this week uh, we're going to do this Thursday with uh, Collins to beat Schwartek, uh tonight in the uh, women's 
semi-final at the Australian Open. Danielle Collins is playing some pretty good tennis, but she's slight outsider. But uh, I think she wins at $2.18. Uh, Ash Barty, just the cream on top of it. It's only $1.20, but when you've got a two eighteen, another $0.20 cents on top of that is looking okay. And then the Otago Sparks, I believe, uh, late this afternoon, uh, down there at the University Oval, the main game, the Otago Sparks uh, to beat the Auckland Hearts in the Super Smash elimination at $1.55, and that represents a return of $4.05. Four five, and uh, that... Uh, would be a great result. Pretty impressed, actually. Might start backing them myself. Uh, 9.59 uh, here on SENZ. We have got David Long after the break. Uh, there's been so much. Uh, I mean, two weeks out, we started talking about Djokovic, and we're still talking about the Aussie Open. It's been a month of controversy and quality. Unfortunately, the tennis is now rising to the top. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Well, the Trans-Tasman Rift is centre stage at the Australian Open after Kiwis double star Michael Venus served up some choice words for outspoken Australian Nick Kyrgios following their quarterfinal matchup a couple of days ago in Melbourne. You know, they'll always be his supporters and he'll always spin it in a way that that helps him. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's just an absolute knob. I mean, <laughs> I think it just speaks for him. His maturity level is about, <clears throat> it's probably being generous to a 10-year-old to say that it's about at that level. Um, he's, he's an unbelievable tennis player. What he does on the tennis court, um, what he can do out there, his tennis IQ on the court, it is, uh, it is amazing. And, and he's definitely... Uh, on that side of things, one of the best players in the world. Uh, but from the maturity side of things, you can you see why he's uh, never fulfilled his potential and um, probably never will. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you don't very often hear tennis players talk about uh, fellow tennis players in that regard. Uh, sometimes you hear disappointment. You can talk about um, things that happen during the match, but never their personalities uh, and their behavioural patterns like that. Uh, and their character like that as well. I mean, it takes me back to Australia and New Zealand rifts almost to the, uh, the underarm way back, what it was at, about 1980-81. Uh, so that was Michael Venus on TVNZ last night that you just heard. Now joining us to chat about this and the semi-final matchups uh, and prospect uh, over the next couple of days is uh, stuffed tennis writer David Long. David, thanks very much for joining us. Is Michael Venus right in what he says? Yeah, hi there, Ian. Um, I think he is um, in, in many respects, and it's, it's you're right it's very mike i've known him for for many years and this is the first time i've ever, ever sort of tried to ever seen him be outspoken like this you normally he he tried to tell you when you ask him a, 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 a sort of a quite of a curveball question he'll avoid it but and you know and, and also that you need to remember that this was a day after um the match it wasn't sort mm. of um you know in the heat of the moment that he he's obviously still really wound up about it um and uh, you have to agree, I think, that, uh, that he's right in, in, in a few ways about um, Kyrgios is never going to reach his potential with his attitude. And the way he behaved um, uh, in, the, in the match was completely out of, out of order. Um, you, you know, you think of, if he, you know, I have people, some people say since then that Kyrgios is a character and that's, what, that's great about tennis. But there's also things about um, respect and um, Kyrgios showed no respect whatsoever to... to to Mike Venus or his his partner um, Tim Putz in that match, um, and and I think that's the that's, that's the disappointing side of it. You can you can be a showman, you can pump up the crowd, 
But when you mock your opponent in a match, uh, I think that, for me, that crosses the line. David, this is an interesting thing for me because, okay, we see the on-court uh, umpire there. Uh, in this case, it was a very experienced woman who was in charge of this particular match. But there is, surely there is a body in tennis who are charged with the responsibility of maintaining standards around the game itself. Have we heard anything at all from any of those people? Uh, none whatsoever, no. I don't think there'll be any action. Um, the uh, the umpire, you know, she had many opportunities to give warning, code violations or warnings to, to Kyrgios um, and Kokonakis. He, uh, he uh, when at one point, um, Kyrgios screamed, uh, you don't know what you're effing doing. Um, and and there was nothing that came from that. And that, that's it. I mean, it's, it's, I guess one of the problems is with tennis, it's, you know, these are... Uh, the Grand Slams, it's partly run, owned, it's owned by Tennis Australia, but it comes under the ITF jurisdiction, and then there's also the ATP on the side of that. So you know, you've got different tournaments with different um, different governing bodies running it, and not an overall sort of um, umbrella um, for everything. But you know, it seems like um, there's, there's going to be no repercussions of it, and I'm sure you know it's going to be um, entire. Everybody's into sports fans going to be watching Kyrgios's match this afternoon um, on on Wood Labour and hoping for more of the same. Mm, it's it's a really interesting one for me. I, I I do feel slightly sorry, and if you look at the body language of uh, Kokonakis, he's he's a little bit guilty by association here, isn't he? He's I mean he's he's had his issues in the past. He never ever to the same extent of. Um, uh, curious, but he, he's oh, I don't want to probably wonky use the word, but there is that sort of bogan side to him to Kokonakis as well. You know, he's, he's got in trouble in the past. Um, and I think that it's, I think the other sort of thing, interesting thing about it was that the match was played on um Kia Arena, which is an, a, a brand new one, but it's the one where you get the um public, the if you just buy your ground admission, you can go along to watch a match in it. And that's always been actually one of the things I've liked about the Australian Open, especially in the first week, is that. You know, you can go to Rod Laver or, or um, John Kane Arena and you can see Nadal beat someone 6-1-6-1-6-1. And you can say after a couple of hours that, um, yeah, I've seen Nadal play, but you haven't seen an exciting match. But you can go to some of these outside courts um, at the Australian Open and, that, and you get some incredible atmospheres there. I remember, um, you know, I was there when um, Marcus Bagdadis smashed up all his rackets. I'm sitting next to James McConey for that match, and and you get you get the locals who um, you know don't follow tennis, but they go along, they have a few beers, and they get behind, you know they get behind um, you know a lot, a lot I guess a lot of the Serbians or the Greek or the, or the players from Eastern Europe Eastern Europe that are, that are big in Melbourne and and the incredible atmospheres there, but it just sort of felt that you know with with it went across went over the line with the way that. Um, um, that Kyrgios wound up the crowd crowd for that match. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think is, as well is that, you know, um, I guess going back to, to to respect is that, you know, you would have seen in, from your days in professional sport that you don't, you don't mock or um, um, your opponent, you know, which, which was what, which Kopenakis, mm. uh, sorry, which Kyrgios did. You know, if you did that in baseball, mm. if you're hitting the home run, if you show up the pitcher, you know, the next time you get up to bat, you're going to get a fastball thrown in your head. You know, mm. and I, I, I know in cricket, you know, you, <laughs> was, it, was it the same was for you? If you don't, you don't show up well, at the bowler if you hit a six, do you? 
I think in those days, David, it was just common sense, really, particularly if, uh, for instance, you never mock a fast bowler because they'll always have the last say, and you never you never mock anyone as a batsman because there's only two of you out there and there's 11 of them. And so there's a lot of no-win situations, uh, so you just try and use your common sense there. Hey, let, let's, uh, actually, let's talk about some tennis because uh, at the end of the day, there's been some terrific tennis. Uh, sits past last night. I'm not sure anyone saw that uh, dominance over Sinner coming. No, that's right. I mean, um, I thought Sitsipaspa probably would edge it, but I didn't expect a, a comfortable three-set win like that. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was sensational tennis from Sitsipaspa. You know, he's been knocking on the door for a bit longer than some of the other sort of um, younger guys we, we, we are coming through, like Sinner and like Felix Auger, Eliassime. Um, and maybe now it's the time for him to sort of be that, show that potential and, and sort of go further than we We've seen from someone like someone like Zverev, who's sort of also sort of put in that same sort of bracket as him as one of them guys coming through with a lot of potential. But um, you know, it was outstanding for me last night. Yeah. Okay, let's look at, at the other one, which turned out to be a thrilling five-setter, uh, and um, Medvedev, uh, who now uh, clearly is uh, the favourite, I think, to win. I had to dig really deep. Uh, Felix Auger Aliassime is going to be, uh, I think, a, a player to watch. Uh, in the in the future going forward now so uh two sets up and uh Medvedev clawed his way back like uh, a possible champion probably would yeah that's right I mean I watched the first two sets and then I thought oh, I'd have called it a night and go to bed because I knew this was good this was this was not going to be a three-set match you know the thing I like most about Medvedev is that the confidence and belief that he's got in his game it's like um it's like watching Federer at his peak at Wimbledon, you just knew, he, he knew always that he was going to come through and win. And, and Medvedev's got that confidence and an ability in his game to, to pull off the incredible shots and to win the mental battles. Um, you know, he's got that. And I think we're seeing with Medvedev now, um, you know, he won the, the uh, US Open last year. And I think we're seeing a start. Um, now he's broke his duck. We're seeing, we're seeing the start of uh, someone who I think is going to dominate tennis for the next, you know, five, six, seven years, I think he's going to he's, mm. he's going to rack up the wins and get close to to the big three. I think by the end of it, and I, I think as well is, you know, we are seeing. I think for men's tennis for so long, we've seen it been dominated by the big three, you know, and we're seeing the end of that era now. And and during that area, guys like Dimitrov and um, Songer and um, and others, you know, you, you sort of thought they were they were getting close, but you never thought. They never had it to, to knock off those three now, but I think we're seeing a really interesting dynamics of men's tennis now with, with these young guys coming through, and I think it's going to be a, a fascinating sort of next next five years for men's tennis. Fascinating for the ladies, of course, as well, David, and tonight it's their night, uh, and uh, Ash Barty, who was out and out the hottest of favourites from this point onwards, uh, to beat Madison Keys perhaps at 9.30, followed by Collins against Schwatek uh, at 10.45, uh, uh, like uh, Kyrgios Kokonakis uh, on Rod Laver Arena. So, Barty, you think, yeah, Barty Collins, Barty Schwatek? Well, I think the toughest match that uh, Barty could play will be against Madison Keys. I think the, if, she, if she comes through that, I can't see um, Svetek or Collins putting up much of a fight. But I think Key, Madison has got that game that she can she can um, put pressure on on. Onto Bali, she's very aggressive. She hits the ball really hard. In some ways, she plays um, similar to men's tennis in that in that she you know she not just sit there at the baseline and hit a hundred balls that she'll go for her shots. And it would depend on how how Bali reacts to that. Um, 
that uh, that could determine the match. But I, yeah, I think Bali will win, and I, um, but I think it will be close. But and then I think the finals will be pretty pretty one way traffic. Yeah, um, I, I think you're probably right there if she gets to that point. Um, just for those of us who like to see the, um, the back of Kyrgios and Kokonakis, the so-called special case, uh, they're up against the Balas and Granioles, uh, the number three th- number three seeds. Uh, now that they're out of the K Arena, uh, back into uh, Rod Laver Arena, which is obviously bigger, do we expect more of that atmosphere? Is it going to be harder for Zabalas and Granioles uh, to get past them? Well, it won't be that sort of intimacy um, that there was on Kerry in, in, in Rod Laver. You know, it does get pumped there, but, you know, the fact is as well is that, you know, we're not seeing... Um, it won't be full because of the COVID restrictions, so it won't be a sort of a, a, as intense atmosphere. Um, it, it, um, I think um, I mean, the, the pair that are up against, they're a quality doubles team, you know, outstanding quality, as good as, as, good as uh, Venus and Pertz. Um, but I think the interesting thing I, I found in watching um, the, the match on Tuesday was that um, Kokonakis and uh, Kyrgios, they were, they were getting outplayed in the doubles tactics part of it. They had the individual skill, and Kyrgios' serve was almost impossible for them to, to break. But the fact that the way that they, they hit the nice angles, um, they knew the lines, they knew the, they knew the intricacies of doubles techniques, I think that might come up against uh, Kokonakis and Kyrgios tonight. I think it's going to be very hard. Well, this afternoon, I think it's going to be, it's going to be hard for them to, to, to know how to play double specialists like this again and come through a win. David Long, uh, thank you very much for your insight this morning. Enjoy uh, your writing um, and uh, enjoy the rest of the Open. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating from here on in. Uh, still a lot of tennis to be played. Uh, thanks so much for your time this morning, David. No worries. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Wow, wow, uh, that's coming quick, which means it's hot. What is it? It's breaking news, Smithy, and it's um, quite oh, sad but quite happy at the same time. Um, rowing legend Hamish Bond has today announced his retirement from the sport. The three-time Olympic champion leaves rowing as one of New Zealand's most decorated athletes and Olympians, having won gold in the Coxless Pier with crewmate Eric Murray in 2012 and 2016 and uh, leading the men's eight crew to gold in Tokyo last year. He is the first male New Zealander to win three successive Olympic gold medals. Bond is also an eight-time world champion. 35-year-old saying he's known for a while that it's the right time to hang up the oars. Uh, Bond says it does feel strange saying that I'm retiring, but I feel very fortunate to be walking away while at the top of the sport. So there you go, Smithy, one of New Zealand's greatest ever athletes, not just in a boat, um, great cyclist as well. Hamish Bond has announced his retirement. What a legend. Well, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely stunned because uh, you just expect it. You just expect Hamish Bond to be around forever because he's been such an iron man. Uh, don't, let's not forget he was a cyclist as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, just, he is just an absolute, absolute star. Uh, so uh, there you go, folks. Um, what are your thoughts about Hamish Bond? We'll desperately try and get him on the show. I imagine someone will beat us to the punch. Within our very aggressive uh, drive team or staffy, we'll probably get him first. But uh, if we if we could get him on, I'd love to talk to him and, and a quick reflection. But uh, his career won't it deserves more than a quick reflection, um, and people will do that over a period of time. Um, yeah, a little bit taken aback by that. So double eight double three. What are your thoughts on Hamish Bond? Um, you know, we've been talking about the cricket, but that gazumps that, I think. I think it does. 
Uh, Hamish Bond, your thoughts on that? Certainly we'll get that. Uh, we weren't going to talk about it in the panel. We will be now. Uh, that's coming up uh, very shortly. Uh, and we have Ollie Ritchie and Sam Ackerman. Uh, they might have just learnt of it themselves. But Hamish Bond, no more Hamish Bond uh, in a uh, rowing boat for us. A skull, or whatever you like to call them. Skiff, anything. Um, no Hamish Bond. Very sad. 10.18, panel very shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, our panel this morning consists of uh, Ollie Ritchie and Sam Ackerman, of course, uh, well known to uh, us listening here on SENZ and uh, coming at the perfect time this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, Ollie Ritchie, I'll give you dibs on this one. Uh, and the news that Hamish Bond, just come through, Hamish Bond is uh, hanging up the oars, as he said. Uh, bit of a shock to the system for me anyway, but what about you? Is it expected? Yeah, I think it was, Smithy, to be honest. Um, what an absolute legend. And, and it is always a bit of a shock when you see such a legend call time on their career, I suppose. No, you know, no matter how long they've been, uh, they've been, they've been competing. I, I suppose the same with Ross Taylor when he um, announced his retirement a, a little earlier on in the year. Um, you sort of saw it coming, but it's still a bit of a shock. Um, I think Hamish Bond uh, was always going to call time after Tokyo. He was even considering... Uh, potentially calling time before Tokyo, um, but was convinced to keep going and, and give it one more crack uh, in the men's eight, and, and he'll certainly be uh, thanking his lucky stars he did that because what a what a note to go out on, uh, an absolute legend of rowing, of course, but you know he showed his hand in, in cycling as well and, and showed what a true athlete he is. Um, so he will go down as one of our very best Olympians. What about you, Sam? Yeah, these, his competitive streak is phenomenal the way he pushes himself as an athlete and the the balance between him and uh, Eric Murray was one of the great um, chalk and cheese but everything works together double acts in New Zealand sport it was it was always joyous to kind of speak to them both at once because they were like Waldorf and Stadler from the Muppets just kind of bickering at each other but, but somehow it worked and, they, and it came together very different personalities but they uh, their competitive drive uh, pulled them together. The only man to win um, gold at the three consecutive Olympics it's, uh, for New Zealand, that is, obviously. And that's, uh, I think this, that it was, to me, the, a very clear reason he's uh, given it away is he went from the, the highs of the, uh, of the pair to uh, a, solid, a really solid, strong uh, career in the, uh, in the cycling world. But it, it wasn't, he wasn't going to finish on a high. He wasn't going to finish as a champion at the top of his game. And I think for a competitor like him, that would have been quite a hard thing to take. And like Ollie said, he was contemplating um, giving it away. But getting the chance to finish as a champion uh, in a, um, a huge history, historic moment for uh, New Zealand sport as well, it seems to me for a competitor like that, that's the way they had to go out. And I'm very comfortable to say that I expect um, sometime in the next few years that we'll see both Bond and Murray uh, become knighted together in, uh, in a joint thing. That would be my pick in the future. They, they, they thoroughly deserve it for everything they've achieved in New Zealand sport. It's a bit like Ross Taylor too, uh, Sam, uh, pulling out. I mean, I look at those two and I, I look at image, image and uh, the way they've been portrayed and they've portrayed themselves throughout their careers. Uh, squeaky, squeaky pure. 
Yep, absolutely. Good. Like they were really relatable New Zealanders, people that you could, uh, you'd want to have a beer with, and that's always the greatest way for a sportsman or a celebrity to be in this country. If it's someone you want to have a beer with, then you've done yourself uh, a real service. So he's yeah, he he had a, a real dry, sharp sense of humour, and uh, while, while uh, there was a bit of clown to Eric Murray, uh, Hamish Bond always could uh, size them down, just like he did the oppositions on a uh, on a home stretch as well. So he was. Yeah, one of the greats, and I, I personally ask myself, do the eight win if Hamish Bond isn't in it? I, obviously, who can tell? But to me, that competitive mm. drive, that champion streak, uh, and someone as fiercely competitive as that, to pull that crew through, um, it's not all on him. There's seven other blokes deserve the credit too. But, yeah, I, I just don't know if that, if, if that could happen without his input. Well, whoever sits in that seat, I think it was second from the back of the boat, has got a hell of a job to do. There's no doubt about it, and... Um, look, what an interesting week it's been, uh, Ollie. Um, what about this uh, Michael Venus? His comments, um, you know, often hear tennis players go, uh, you know, go like that, particularly 24 hours after the event. Knee jerk, yes, but 24 hours later, uh, some very considered opinions about uh, Nick Kyrgios in particular. What have you made of this saga? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it, Smithy? God, he knows how to ruffle feathers, does does Nick Kyrgios, and I think we sit you know, and watch from the couch and he's entertaining and he's bickering at the chair umpire and he's, um, he's bickering with his, his, his opponent half the time and we all sit there and find it very entertaining. Well, none of us have ever had to be on the, on the receiving end of it with the crowd as hostile as they have apparently been over in Melbourne. So I, I can understand why Michael Venus had had enough with it and, um, and said what he did say. Um, from a tennis perspective, he is he's entertaining to watch and, and it, it could be just what, what the game needs right now, you know, as you rightfully said, tennis has really only marketed three guys uh, over the last decade, and yes, the other three guys that have, that have been winning. Um, but you know, maybe this is the edge that the sport needs um, to keep it interesting. You know, it's not every day you get people glued to their TVs watching a men's double match uh, at a major. It just doesn't happen. But the Kyrgios effect, right? He comes in and he's he's just a bit different, and he ruffles feathers, and and that's quite fun to watch. Um, but, yeah, in saying that, we don't have to be on the receiving end of it, so I can understand why that was an incredibly frustrating match for Michael Venus to be part of and, and the hostility coming from the crowd and the, the drives and the boos and, and all that noise when, he, when he's trying to play. Um, Nick Kyrgios is, is not going to reach his potential, and, and Nick Kyrgios has kind of already admitted that. He doesn't really care about that. He, he's out to kind of have fun and, and entertain, and he's, he's not going to stop. Um, but yeah, it didn't look like a fun environment for, for Michael Venus to be playing in. No, I mean, I listened to the commentary as well as watched it. Uh, look, I, I, I was, dis- well, I wouldn't say dismayed, I was absolutely staggered at the level he went to, Sam, to be fair. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's, there is, you know, there's heckling, there's sledging and lots of things, but I mean, disrespect to that degree. Look, it, 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 the crowd. The crowd has got as much to do with it. And yes, Kyrgios is obviously winding him up. But uh, the, you know, the crowd behaviour for uh, the world of tennis. It's it's, it's really it's the um, they're trying to treat it like the you know the those special holes in golf. You know, where there's, you're allowed to make noise to try to do that through a whole game of tennis. And unfortunately, tennis isn't built like that for that kind of rowdy behaviour. Uh, and it's uh, for those involved, and because you know there's been a strict etiquette through their entire lives, they suddenly have that taken away. It's a uh, it's a massive 
uh, mind if. And I've got to say, though, it's a little bit of a dummy spit from Michael Venus. And I love Michael Venus. And, but it, to come out the next day and, and to go as overboard as, as he had felt like a bit of a dummy spit. And I haven't seen one that bad since I told Ollie Ritchie his story wasn't running one day. And he just <laughs> lost the plot because, you know, Ollie... Oh, it's just just the way he's cut. But look, it's, it is a it is great it is great for tennis that we're talking about doubles and beyond that. But if Federer is there, if Djokovic is there, if there's this big names uh, piling into the final, do you think we're talking about the doubles with Kyrgios as much? I don't know. I don't I don't think so personally. And if they hadn't come across, across Venus, we probably wouldn't be talking about it um, if those big names are there as well. So uh, he is. He's, I I enjoy watching Kyrgios. I've enjoyed his niggle for years. I like this a, a guy of personality. I like to have a guy that you like to hate or love to watch or whatever you want it to be. Uh, it is. He's great for, for the sport in the wider context. He's not revolutionising the game. This is, to me, a little bit of a one-off with the Australians going a bit feral. Okay, uh, we'll take a short break. About two minutes, uh, two and a half minutes. Ollie, I'll give you a uh, serve uh, after uh, the break. And if you want to give no, him a spray... No, he's too busy sulking. He's too busy sulking now, I know. <laughs> no, if, if he wants to give you a spray, Sam, then, um, I'll give him the opportunity, but we'll see how brave he is. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure he's, he's going to call you... A, anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, is he is he knobhead level? That's what I want to know. <laughs> 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 10.31 here on SENZ, here's Trudy. Uh, Sam Ackerman and uh, Ollie Ritchie uh, with us on the panel this morning. Uh, give you an option here, uh, Ollie. You can return serve if you like, or you might want to talk about the Winter Olympics, where I believe you are destined to be very shortly, and the prospect of uh, a couple of gold medals, certainly a couple of favourites in a couple of events. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I won't return to too hard, um, Smithy, but it's interesting that Sammy talks about not running my story. He was the head of sport at News Hub. He was barely in the office. He was always out long lunching with someone or another long lunch or another meeting somewhere else that involved, I'm sure, uh, a lovely meal somewhere in Auckland. But anyway, uh, yeah, the Winter Olympics will be... Um, will be a real spectacle, and, and you're absolutely right, a couple of gold medal prospects and really unfamiliar territory for, for New Zealand. Um, you know, normally we go into a Winter Olympics sort of hopeful that we might be able to, to challenge somewhere near uh, a medal. Certainly Nico Porteous and Zoe sadowski Senate weren't expected uh, to win medals in 2018, but boy, is, um, is it different this time around. They are very much medal favourites and, and really gold medal favourites, particularly the way they have competed at the X Games over the weekend. Uh, laid down a market for their competitors, so that'll be a really special time if they can if they can pull it off on the biggest stage. Remember, the, you know these two are only 20 years old still, so they are very very young, um, and you know are carrying the sort of the weight of the nation on their shoulders uh, into Beijing. But they've proven that you know no stage is, is too big for them, um, and I think we could we could absolutely get uh, a couple of gold medals over there. Hey, Ollie, uh, just uh, by the by, I hadn't even really thought about it because of uh, what's been going on here, but uh, what's the COVID situation? Uh, what have you been warned about? What protocols go- heading to the Winter Olympics? It was so prevalent during uh, the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a little bit different over there. Um, you know, case numbers aren't high. Certainly case numbers that are being reported in, in uh, China and in Beijing at the moment aren't particularly high, but you, we, we enter what's called a closed-loop system, so that think of a, a massive Olympic bubble uh, essentially, and then kind of various bubbles within that bubble. Um, that's all competitors, support staff, media, broadcasters, uh, everyone that's traveling over for that uh, enters from the airport into a closed-loop system. You can't go wandering around Beijing. It's not like Tokyo, where after the first two weeks you could you could wander around Tokyo and you could go out for dinner wherever you like. It's not quite like that. 
Um, you know, hotels, venues, uh, media centres, training venues, the odd convenience store and restaurant uh, are all in this closed loop system uh, and you can only go places in the closed loop system and the only people in this closed loop system are people that are there for the Winter Olympics. So think of a very much a, a big Olympic bubble essentially uh, to try and keep COVID out. A little bit of league to talk about uh, this morning, Sam, and a tweet coming through to us this morning. The, a Kiwi forward is reportedly in the sights of the Dolphins. I understand this might be uh, Kenny Bromwich, which will impact Melbourne, of course, if it comes to fruition. Uh, are they becoming more and more aggressive in the market? Are you sensing? Yeah, they are. And uh, the, the thing is that everyone is waiting for them to sign marquee names and superstars. And now the, 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 the franchise players, if you like, haven't been signed, but uh, they're looking like they're taking a real leaf out of the uh, the Melbourne Storm setup model, and that's uh, making sure that you get yourself some really gritty, solid veterans. And you think of the, the Glenn Lazaruses, the Stephen Kearneys, the Tauta Nikals that they did, get themselves some solid uh, up-and-comers, and then some players who haven't got the opportunities at other clubs, but are good enough. They've got good talent scouts. They've got a bloke called Wayne Bennett there who knows what he's doing. So getting uh, Kenny Bromwich out to join Jesse Bromwich I think is a uh, good move uh, with Felice Kafusi there as well. So they're essentially targeting the Storm Ford pack um, to build their uh, Ford pack around, which isn't a, a terrible move by any stretch. And there, we could find out by mid-year whether someone like Caelan Ponga is going to put himself on the market, which obviously the Dolphins will throw heaven and earth behind. Um, Cameron Munster is a guy who might be finding himself available in the not-too-distant future as well. So uh, they've got their marquee sites set up. But they're sitting nicely considering they're over a season away, but I think they'll want to see a few more outside backs and headline acts to make the fans get excited. A changing schedule in New Zealand cricket. Ollie, I think we've got to expect these kind of things as we progress through these particular strains of virus, but it looks like two test matches on the same block very quickly together in Christchurch on Hagley Oval, which will be a challenge for a groundsman. Yeah, well, but if, uh, if any ground can pull it off, it's New Zealand's home of cricket, Hagley Oval. Um, <laughs> I think great decision, um, keeping them down there. Uh, a, a great place to watch cricket, but in all seriousness, you can kind of understand it, right? Uh, limited movement around the country with, with, you know, Omicron spreading throughout the community. Um, it's just safer to keep them in, in one place. Um, as opposed to having to go through airports and onto planes and into different hotels and stuff. And, and while I'm sure it would probably be fine, of course, there's now the risk that, that, that it won't be. So you can understand it from New Zealand cricket's point of view. Just reduce the risk um, and, and keep them at the same ground. But you're right, that's a, uh, that's a big ask of uh, the Hagley Oval ground staff, but I'm sure they'll pull off a beauty. They always do. Uh, and here's an interesting one for you, Sam. That I know he's changed codes on you a wee bit, but... Uh, we now are led to believe that uh, Roger Tuavasa-Shek will play at 12 for the Blues. Looking at where he's played in a style of play in rugby league, what about 12 for the Blues? If I was picking, I'd like 13, a bit more space and a little bit more uh, enterprise, but 12, he is he is a great extra set of hands as a ball player. As he would he chime into the back line from fullback uh, for you know the Roosters and for the Warriors, he often was uh, the guy who either hit a gap or be a guy to be the extra set of hands to do uh, to set up the next play. He was really underrated in that, value, uh, in that role simply because his sidestep and his pace were just mesmerising, but he's a safe set of hands, he's a smart ball player, 
and he knows when to, uh, to when to pass and when not to. So I don't mind him um, at 12. I, I just I just hope they don't try to uh, get him to be a uh, a game runner where they should use him as a lot more of a game breaker in his first season. If you ask me. Okay, interesting thoughts there. Well, I guess. Um, as we close today, and it's been wonderful to hear you guys go to and fro. Sam, you should join us all in congratulating Ollie, of course, who's just announced his engagement to another high-profile media person, and Kimberly Downs, which, uh, which is wonderful news. Um, Ollie, you're a red and black through and through. Um, we know Kimberly Downs is amber and black, so I'd imagine mm. to start the thing off on a nice even keel, you probably have to get married somewhere like uh, Wellington. Is that the case? No, there'll be no splitting the difference, Smithy. Um, you know, setting myself up for a life of marriage. She's won. Uh, she's won this one, and I'm sure she'll continue to win. Uh, every what a battle. shock! Uh, what a shock! Yeah, I'm, I'm a sensible man. I, I know when to say yes and when to say yes and when to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations! A great news. Wonderful news. Yeah, Absolutely. thanks very much. Yeah, we're thrilled. Thank you, guys. Uh, look, look, he's very okay. much like uh, Chris Martin scoring a 50, by the way, betting well above his average. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, well, well uh, and I think you can quite, quite safely cross Ackerman off the, off the invite list. Can you uh, at this point, Ollie? <laughs> he's just missed out. Just missed out. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Great, great stuff, guys. A lot of fun and some great opinion along the way. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and Ollie, if we don't talk to you in the meantime... Uh, good luck, travel safely uh, all the way to uh, the Winter Olympics. I think you're going to report on some great success. That was the panel this morning. Wonderful, those two blokes uh, together. Good combination. Uh, we'll get them again, no doubt at all. It's uh, 10.41 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll be back shortly with uh, a couple of reflections on Hamish Bond uh, and uh, also uh, Louis Herman Watt and the TAB before 11 o'clock. If it's happening in New Zealand sport, you'll hear about it on SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. There's a new team in town. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Well, there'll be tributes uh, flying uh, all around the place and uh, from all around the world too uh, about uh, the announcement just coming before from uh, Hamish Bond that he is hanging up his oars uh, and uh, really uh, that'll be it. From his point of view, we just will not see him again. It's been such a familiar and uh, great sight over the years. Three Olympic golds in a row. Uh, the only New Zealand uh, male to ever do that. Eight world champions. Cycling bronze as well in the time trial when he just changed codes uh, briefly there just to have a dabble. That's what kind of dabbler he was. Uh, and it's quite fitting, actually, that one of the first tributes uh, that has come to hand is from the New Zealand Olympic Committee. New Zealand for Eric Murray and Hamish Bond. They have their reward for all that work down the years. I was really lucky to have some, I guess, gifted and experienced coaches when I was young who instilled a sense of work ethic and, um, yeah, started me on that path early, I guess. Same at this moment, New Zealand. New Zealand and obviously we have such a rich sporting history. Digging in, showing all the forms that took him to the two Olympic gold medals. Kiwis are stretching out. It's the Kiwis coming up to the line. It's my wife Lizzie. I wouldn't be here. 
because yeah, there were times where I, I, I was done and um, she was the reason I keep going. It means a lot. I can pay for myself, um, but to feel as though on the side of that you're representing your friends and family and, and ultimately your country is, is pretty special. Good God! I mean, I, I just got, I just got the old jingle jangles there on the back of the neck and up the arms because that was uh, tantamount to him winning another medal. Um, the emotion in his voice, uh, the things he said in that very short clip, uh, really um, quite, quite emotional. Uh, and, and that is not even reflected this morning. That is just throughout his career is re reflected on the people around him uh, and the thanks he gave and. Uh, and I guess Jared sort of sums it up too in his text that's just come in. Bond, what a lowering legend. He's one of New Zealand's best sportsmen and what a way of retiring after helping resurrect the men's eight at the Olympic Games. Respect and a top bloke too. Uh, Jared, uh, sounds like you've, you've pretty well nailed it in a couple of sentences to be on, honest. Um, uh, and there will be continued reflections uh, on his career. We'd love to hear more from you. Uh, in fact, I, I think we might set aside a window after about 11.35, after Stump Smithy this morning. Uh, we'd love to hear uh, a phone call or two from uh, you people that have uh, followed his career. Just one or two, uh, if you feel like it. 0800 We'll give you plenty of warning. Uh, that is the number, 0800 and we'll give you a 10-minute window or so. And if not, then certainly uh, continue with the, the text, double eight double three, uh, because it is a ginormous... Uh, decision that has come out today that Hamish Bond uh, has decided uh, that enough is enough uh, in a rowing boat anyway. John, you kind of get the figure that uh, the, the opinion though that uh, we'll hear more from him, Hamish Bond, in a coaching capacity, a mentor capacity. Uh, someone will snap him up in business, I'm sure, as a consultant if he wants to go that way. Doors will open when you open them the way he has. Yep, Hamish Bond will not sit on the couch and be playing PlayStation, will he, when he retires. He's not that type of guy. He will be doing something to do with sport because he loves it, first and foremost, and with that pressure off him to be a high-performance athlete, I'm sure he'll actually rediscover his love of sport again and hopefully guiding the next generation of Olympic champions. Well, actually, and, uh, you know, uh, rowing will feel this, there's no doubt about it. Um, and uh, I, I like also that he's uh, timed it now because that's what he's known for, his timing. Uh, he's taken the focus away from New Zealand Rowing Championships. So, uh, you know, he, he's, he hasn't announced it at that time or hasn't uh, taken any of, of the kudos off, off that event. He said, right, uh, I'm out. This is the new generation coming through. Uh, they've got to fill my seat in the boat. I, th I think he was second to, second to back in the boat. I think he was Tom McIntosh was behind him. I'm pretty sure... Hamish Bond was just in front of him as we look from back to front in that uh, rowing eight setup. Uh, yeah, but uh, yep, yeah. and those guys will be inspired by the fact that they rode with him uh, for the last time in terms of uh, winning that medal. Uh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant career, um, and more time for reflection. And we urge you to be part of it this morning. And I, I just give you a heads up: we're led to believe Staffy will have him in his show this afternoon. So uh, hopefully that'll be the case. We'll confirm that. Just before midday, it's 10.52 here on SENZ. Everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. 
Yeah, just a couple of minutes uh, with Louis this morning, uh, time permitting. Uh, Louis, uh, shame about yesterday. Um, called off after one race at Matter Matter. Hope for better things today in Hastings, where it's still overcast uh, and very mild. Hey, um, Susie, I heard your sermon. I didn't know where it was going to go. Moet, um, Moet, my, my mate Moet got us off to a flyer yesterday, didn't it? And it is a shame what happened to Matter Matter. What I would just say is don't New Zealand thoroughbred racing are aware of this innately. After that abandonment and Captain Cook stakes at Trenton, they are working on it. They've got a set of actions. I shared it on Twitter. Anybody can go and look. And Bruce Sharrick, the chief operating officer, is very actions-driven. And they've got a bunch of end dates and when they're going to start fixing this stuff. So let's hold them accountable. They want us to hold them accountable. Let's do it. So we'll do that together, Smithy. Yep, racing at Hastings today. Race four titled would be my best of the day. I think it's a talented colt and can win. Thank you very much, mate. Uh, we'll leave it at that and we'll hope that uh, Bruce Sherrick, out of the famous racing family, uh, will get the job done there because it's uh, immensely frustrating. Doesn't happen very often, thank goodness. Uh, and every now and then, maybe in the Greyhounds, Pip Morris is with us. Uh, Pip, so uh, we're just talking about uh, racing, having poor track conditions. I've seen it every now and then when the rain hits uh, Greyhounds, but not very often, eh? No, not very often now that we've got the all-weather tracks. We can be pretty lucky. Central District, so Smithy has been having a bit of bad luck, but yeah, don't get it often, especially in summertime, do we? So hopefully that's the last time as far as the gallops go, definitely. No, OK, so they're racing at uh, Hastings today, but more importantly from the TAB's point of view, a lot of volume of betting on the Australian Open now that we're at semi-final time tonight for the women. Yes, we certainly are. And there's been a couple of big bets as well. We have uh, around $2,000 on Barty, someone willing to take $1.20. And a little bit earlier on, around $1,300 put on her as well at around $1.24. So she's the favourite betting. That seems to be the way the market's going, Smithy, with the Women's Open. And, of course, the TAB Tennis Multi is back today and the other options there. So check out the TNCs on tab.co.nz. Hey, thanks, Pip. Thanks very much for your time, uh, as always. Uh, we're coming up for the news here at 11 o'clock and uh, we're going to basketball. Breakers forward, Yanni Wetzel. After uh, 11 o'clock news, uh, here's Trudy uh, with all the latest. Night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Well, just when it looked like the breakers were going to get some momentum, have been laid down by COVID-19 for a second time this season. They beat the Sydney Kings 82-76 a couple of Sundays ago uh, before eight players were laid low by the virus. Uh, we head now across the Tasman to uh, speak to breakers forward Yanni Wetzel. Uh, Yanni, thanks for joining us. Um, first of all, I guess you, the, the question you ask people these days is, uh, how's your health and that of the squad as we speak? Hey, mate, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, it's been another tough break for us, and unfortunately we've been struck by the COVID bug again. Um, the, pretty much everyone that didn't have it the first round in the camp got it this time, and some actually a second time around. So um, people have started to, to file back into the, the camp again this week and um, starting to build up some some momentum again at training, but... Um, obviously fitness and, and some other things are going to take some time. Um, we got an off day today and then um, two games, two trainings leading into the game on Sunday. Um, fly down to Tasmania Saturday afternoon and um, hopefully we can come away with a win on Sunday. So, uh, you know, we talk about momentum in sport, trying, you know, particularly if you've, 
you look like you might be uh, on the up after a, a bit of a slow start. So uh, this one hits you between the eyes again. The momentum's nigh on impossible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, but it's been the story of the season, and, and every team's faced the COVID hit at some point. And you can kind of see as these teams come back into into the games, into the season, um, there's definitely that, that lack of... Uh, like you said, momentum, um, togetherness, just the fact that they haven't touched the court um, in a game-like scenario for two, three weeks. Um, it isn't quite there. So uh, it is what it is. This is the season that we're all facing, and we're not the only sport going through it. So uh, no matter, we've got to do our best and try to change the narrative on that, on that situation on Sunday. Well, that impacts, uh, obviously, when you're coming back too from... Uh... Uh, the ramifications of the virus, uh, the amount of minutes you're able to play. Now, uh, in the last game, you played, what, 38 minutes out of 40? Uh, Matt's yeah. pretty impressive for a big guy. But, you know, yeah. the big guys don't usually have to, that workload. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, I, I have been playing quite extended minutes this season and honestly not one to complain. I mean, the more opportunity, the better for me. It's It's great to get that extended run on the court and be able to show what I can do. Um, but yeah, we're just going to have to play that by ear on Sunday and see how that goes. And um, I'm sure 38 minutes will be a stretch for those guys that have had COVID. But um, the coach is well around that, and I'm sure he's going to be aware um, of how to play minutes and play guys longer stretches who haven't been out for so long. Uh, Yanni, you're a Westlake boy, but of course, like uh, a lot of young kids these days, uh, you had the opportunity to go. Uh, to America and, and uh, apply your trade there and uh, with, uh, St Mary's Rattlers, the Vanderbilt Commodores, San Diego State Aztecs. Do you still keep a, a relatively close eye, if you can, on the college basketball setup? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I had an unbelievable journey over there. Five years, three different schools and um, made, some, made some awesome memories, had some awesome experiences. So, um, the team I keep up with most is the San Diego um, Aztecs. I watch their games most weeks. Um, still really close with the coaching staff, and hopefully I'll get back to the States this summer to um, visit some old friends and, and get back into the practice gym. So just how big is it? How much, how much pressure is on uh, college athletes when, when it gets to you know, the serious side of the season as they head towards March Madness and, and that kind of thing? How much pressure is on those young individuals? Yeah, it is quite a bit, honestly, and... I went through a bit of a roller coaster um, emotionally in my time over there, but I had some serious adversity um, my third and fourth year over there. And, you know, it definitely made me stronger um, in the long run for who I was. But at the current time, I, I didn't know if I could hack it. You know, I was playing little minutes at Vanderbilt. Um, I felt like I was, you know, being screwed around a little bit. And, and you definitely go through it. You go through some tough times and, Emotionally, you got to stay strong, and you got to you got to know how good you are and why you're there, and how much you deserve to be there. And um, and it is it is they're very difficult for certain athletes over there and certain situations. But if you can hack it, um, stay true to yourself and and hold fast, and you can um, you can make something of yourself. And uh, for me, I had to transfer a couple times to really find the perfect situation for me. And I was lucky enough mm -hmm. to end up at San Diego State my last year, which was just the ideal scenario for me. So um, sometimes it takes takes a few years, but if you stick it out, um, most of the time you'll really enjoy yourself. And that's one of the reasons I asked you about the being overseas and having to front up is, 
Uh, has you got a couple of imports who haven't really had many opportunities this year because of uh, what's been going on in uh, Jeremiah Martin, Pete and Silver, uh, to name but two. Um, but uh, are they are they starting to to fit in into the side with the opportunities you're slowly getting? Yeah, it's it's actually been quite a common trend that imports that come down to this league for the first time take a few games to really acclimate to this this league. Um, I'm not too sure why it is, but um, for whatever case, it seems to be quite a common trend down here. And we we all have massive faith in those guys, and we know how good they are. And they've got you know great resumes where they've come from, played in the NBA, played in the Euro League, so we know how good they are. And you know the last couple of games, Peyton Seaver's been amazing. Jeremiah's been good all season, in my opinion. Um, a couple of games where he's been inconsistent, but. I think everyone now has seen what he can do. Um, but yeah, those last two games, Melbourne, even Brisbane, Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney, they've been great for us. So it's nice to see them build some momentum, build some confidence and and we're all confident in them uh, moving forward. Combination with uh, Finn Delaney, now that uh, he's getting some serious court time again, uh, is very important to the cause. Uh, how are you getting along with him? Yeah, yeah. Finn's one of my closest mates on the team. We spend you know, all day together. So, um, yeah, we've built this quite a good relationship off and on the court. We love playing together. Um, he plays hard as nails, and, and I love that. So, um, yeah, I've always looked up to Finn growing up in that, um, in the Tall Blacks and, and all that stuff. So it's been great to kind of pick his brains and and um, just see how he, he works as a professional athlete. Um, he's a true professional's professional, and um, uh, he's been an awesome teammate. We look at what you've got this weekend. Um, it's the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers on Sunday night. Uh, all going well. Cross our fingers it'll happen. Uh, you're 2-7 and seven, uh, for the season so far. Kind of must, must win sort of scenario, aren't we? Yeah, it's felt like that for the last five, six games, honestly. And we had a really rough start at 0-6. And, and um, you know, we had a look in the mirror chat, sit down. It was unacceptable. Um, we won our last two out of three games and we really did feel like we were building momentum and to get hit by this is just as frustrating. But, you know, what can you do is the situation. Um, you know, it's our new normal. It's the reality. So we got to go to Tasmania and we got to try act like this break didn't happen. Um, we got to give it our all and, and treat this like a must-win game. Tom Abercrombie, where's, where's he uh, at at the moment in terms of the squad? Yeah, Tommy, he, um, he he got his moon boot off this week. Uh, so I can't even give you a timeline, but it's good to see him back walking without uh, any assistance. He might still be a few weeks away, I'm assuming. Um, it was a pretty decent surgery on the foot, but I can't give you a timeline on that. Um, he's still bloody fit as hell. He won our bike session the other day, so... Uh, we're not too concerned about his fitness, but hopefully, yeah, he can get back running soon. Yanni, this was about the time, I, I think, when the season was mooted and uh, we were talking about what uh, the, the prospects for the breakers this season. I'm going back uh, two or three months here. Wasn't this about the time that you were going to start heading home for a run of games back on your own deck? Uh, uh, and that now, of course, looks like it's a forlorn hope, really. Yes, yes, yes. It was January, end of January, January 31st that we were hoping to get back and play the last 14 games of the season at home. And 
um, yeah, it's it's obviously a very difficult situation now that we have to spend the back half of the season on the road also. Um, doesn't look very hopeful at all. Uh, I think Cabinet's coming out in the next couple of weeks to make an announcement on borders, but regardless of that, we can't even come home if there's an at-home quarantine just because it doesn't make it viable for teams to fly in and out. So, um, yeah, we're pretty set on, on being here for the whole season and Look, like it is, it's, it is what it is. We can't really do anything about it. Um, you know, I think we've got a strong group on the road. We're really close off the court, which makes things a lot easier. Uh, we just got to dig deep and, and fight hard each game, and, and that's all we really can do. From an athlete's point of view, uh, you've had it, um, COVID. Uh, you've seen it ravage your squad as such. Uh, from a personal point of view, uh, what... What strain did you have and, and uh, what was it like? I mean, we're told uh, in this country now that we can, we're looking at 80,000 cases a week or some damn thing. I mean, and I, we're not used to that, obviously, quite clearly. Uh, what can we expect? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very foreign concept for, for the Kiwis at the moment, and, and it was for us coming over. Um, but now it's the new normal. It's just, it's a reality that people are dropping like flies and, um, it seems to be made as a small deal over here now. So um, maybe that'll be the case of New Zealand in, in five, six weeks' time. Um, everyone kind of gets hit differently by it. And we've had a range of symptoms throughout throughout our team, throughout our travelling camp. Um, for me, I was lucky to, to go pretty much well unscathed. I had a mild cold symptoms, some headaches and stuff um, for about three, four days, and then I was all right. I had the Delta. Um, the the last strain, um, but other guys have had you know fevers, aches, body aches, um, you know serious fatigue, uh, been out you know lying on a bed for for four or five days. So everyone gets struck differently. Um, I definitely know this Omicron is much less severe, um, and the guys who have had this have been relatively fine. Um, you know headaches, you know little fevers for a couple of days, but it goes away pretty quick. So hopefully. Um, Hopefully it doesn't, you know, stamp out New Zealand too quickly and um, you guys can kind of adapt to that new normal. Yeah, you might be better off where you are, to be honest. Uh, uh, the way things are sounding, the doom and gloom merchants aren't painting a very good picture for us. Yanni, great to catch yeah. up with you. Um, and uh, obviously uh, we're so looking forward to seeing some more on-court action and uh, all the best, eh? Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Cheers. Uh, Yanni Wetzel there, uh, out of the breakers, is uh, one of the bigs. He's a forward. He's playing up to 38 minutes out of uh, out of 40. Imagine that for a big guy. But the, the energy levels, of course, are, you know, when you're coming back, as he explained, from the virus, etc., as players filter back into the mix, uh, they're not quite there. So some people have to carry uh, more of a load. And uh, he certainly did that successfully against the Sydney Kings. And they're into Tasmania against the Jack Jumpers. Uh, this weekend. 11.15 here on SENZ, John, and um, news, of course, this morning, uh, Hamish Bond giving people the opportunity, probably around about 11.40 this morning, to, to ring up uh, with a sentiment, if you like, a reflection of what Hamish Bond initially has meant to you, or well, certainly please, uh, double eight double three, uh, get some text messages in. Uh, it would be great to hear from you, and uh, he deserves it. Hamish Bond deserves it. I think it's fair to say. Um, I'll miss him. I'll miss him, John. Yeah, like you've always said for you, like Peter Snell is the guy for you when it comes to male sportsmen from New Zealand, I guess, and that's from your generation as well. Um, for this generation, is it Hamish Bond? Is he the standout 
male New Zealand athlete from this generation. When you think about some of the great sports people we've had over the last you know, 20, 30 years, it's tough to really uh, beat three gold medals in a row, in a rowing boat, isn't it? So yeah, I'd be interested to hear what people think of Hamish Bond and standing in New Zealand sport. Well, you can't actually, people of this generation can't equate to Peter Snell because they never saw him run. Um, you know, they've only read about him, um, read his, uh, of his stats, etc., and of his, his ex, you know, ex, excellent deeds, amazing deeds that he uh, performed over the years. So you really, uh, you can't uh, ask a young guy to say, Peter Snell's my man. But this generation, you're right, because uh, even as uh, recently as the Olympics, of course, uh, we've seen him there again. Three gold medals, uh, the only New Zealand male to ever achieve that three consecutive Olympics. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Staffy this afternoon. That, that's all I can say. It's uh, 11.17 here on SENZ. We shall be back shortly. 11.22 here, news coming through from uh, World Rugby. Uh, former Wales international Phil Davies has been appointed uh, as World Rugby's new director of rugby. Now, remember, this was the job vacated by Joe Smith. Uh, 58-year-old Davies uh, serves at the moment as director of the Leeds Tykes. Uh, formerly, he's led Namibia to uh, two World Cups, 2015 and 2019. Uh, and he's also had stints at the Cardiff Blues, Scarlets and uh, the Worcester Warriors. So there you go. Experience uh, of 20 nations uh, of, of coaching and playing uh, over the past 35 years. So, man, pretty well equipped you would imagine, to take on the role. Uh, I can tell you as well, uh, there is a live cricket match going on at the moment in the Caribbean, and uh, the West Indies have set England a pretty tough target uh, in terms of uh, this one in particular, 225 uh, in 20 overs. Uh, that's a go-get, and uh, they're about to go get it, and 25 for none after 2.1 overs with Jason Roy back in the fold uh, on 20 and Tom Banton on 8. So uh, we'll keep uh, an eye on that one too uh, as we build through to uh, midday. And cricket, of course, in this country too. Uh, it's Elimination Day, John, uh, at the University Overland Dunedin. Uh, and the Sparks have home advantage, but uh, the other three teams, of course, won't. And the men play first. Yeah, the men uh, midday, I think, Smithy. So toss time will be happening in about five or six minutes. I don't think there'll be 225 runs after 20 overs in that university oval pitch. And it's freezing down there, Smithy. I think a high of 15 degrees today for Dunedin, which is about the low in Auckland at the moment. So muggy. Um, but these teams are really similar, I think, Smithy. Um, the the Kings and the Firebirds, uh, the Kings have got... Cole McConkie, Todd Astle, Chad Bowes, Leo Carter, Blake Coburn, Cam Fletcher, Mitch Hay, Matt Henry, Tom Latham, Daryl Mitchell, Ed Nuttall, who's taken a lot of wickets, Willow Rourke and Henry Shipley, who's making a name for himself, the young all-rounder, and Wellington have Michael Bracewell, Finn Allen, Hamish Bennett, Tom Blundell, Devin Conway, Troy Johnson, Jimmy Neesham, Ollie Newton, Ruchin Ravindra, Ben Sears, who bowls lightning quick but gets the tap occasionally as well. Nathan Smith, Lee Logan Van Beek, the Dutch international, and Peter Young husband. So those squads are quite similar, very strong in the batting, I think, and some up-and-coming young bowlers. So I don't know, if you're the TAB, who do you go with? Neutral ground, two fairly even teams. Well, I go Wellington. I'll tell you why. I think they've found the formula, how to play this game. Uh, and I think they've got one or two more qualified Genuine match winners there. Uh, and I speak there of Finn Allen, I speak there of Conway, and I speak there of Bracewell. They're hot. They're damn good players. 
Um, I just, I, on a neutral venue at, at the Basin, I'd take Wellington for sure. Uh, on a neutral venue, I, I'm going to I'm gonna still plump for the Wellington Firebirds there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, not a hard one for me. And then the women, um, well, as you say, it's going to be cold down there. Um, I'm not saying that's an advantage to the Sparks, but uh, the advantage they've got at the moment is a very, very informed Susie Bates leading them. Yeah, she's been unreal, which is great news for the White Ferns as well. And a story that's, uh, well, an opinion that's captured me this morning as well, Smithy, is ranking the best test centuries in Black Caps history. Um, Adrian Sacconi from the Otago Daily Times has put this together, and you'll uh, be pleased to know you've made the list. Smithy, no, no. Uh, really? so I'll just run through Definitely. them. Yeah, number ten is Nathan Astle's two two two. Number nine, equal, is Brendan McCullum's three hundred and two, and that is equal with Jeremy Coney's one hundred and eleven not out against Pakistan and Carisbrook in nineteen eighty five, which I'm sure you would be aware of. Number seven is Ian Smith against India in Auckland, 1990, 173 of 136 balls. Holy moly, if the IPL was around back then, they would have been calling you, that's for sure. After that, number six equal, Mark Greatbatch. One of the most famous innings, isn't it? 146 not out against Australia in Perth in 1989 of 485 balls. What an innings that is. Uh, That is equal with Kane Williamson's 102 not out uh, in Wellington against South Africa in 2012. Uh, that's when he came of age, facing a ferocious Proteas attack to get the draw for New Zealand. Uh, then number four, Stephen Fleming's 274 not out against Sri Lanka in Colombo in 2003. I think Fleming said if the DRS was around then, he would have been out 15 times. Uh, <laughs> but he got away with a few on that day in Colombo. Uh, just uh, an awesome innings, that one. Number three, Martin Crow, 188 against the West Indies in 1985. Number two, Glenn Turner against Australia in Christchurch in 1974. 110 not out of 335 balls. Our uh, maiden test win over Aussie. That one uh, for Glenn Turner, number two. And any idea who might be number one then, Smithy, out of all of those? You see, I'd have gone for Martin Crowe's 188 against Australia at the Gabba to follow up Hadley's nine-wicket haul. I would have thought that was more important than the, uh, the one in the Guyana on a pretty flat pitch, okay, against the West Indies for a draw. But that uh, that one, in, um, so I would have, myself, um, I'm surprised that that is uh, not not in the bracket there. That would be that would have been my number one in terms of importance to New Zealand cricket was defining. Uh, other than that, uh, I have no idea. I'm sorry, there have been so many great ones, great ones. They have. They've gone with Ross Taylor's 290 against Australia in Perth 2015, 374 balls faced, the highest score in Australia by a visiting player ever, and we're talking about the history of Test cricket, every batsman that's ever gone to Australia, Ross Taylor's got the highest ever score, they're saying it was the best because of Australia's attack that day as well, Mitchell Stark uh, bowling 160Ks at the Wacker, uh, the game, sure it was maybe a friendly surface for batting, but still you've got to handle that heat. So the ODT have gone with that as their number one, and they have left off that Martin Crow century from the Gabba in 1985 from their top ten. So these top ten lists are always controversial, Smithy, but you're in there, mate. Not bad. Mitchell, Mitchell Stark or Mitchell Johnson? Yeah, it says Mitchell Stark, but we talked about that the other day, didn't we? It was Mitchell Johnson, and he retired him. Might have been both. Uh, but certainly Mitchell, uh, Stark, uh, Mitchell Johnson's last... Uh, test match and that one, I remember that uh, I mean it was amazing, uh, amazing innings and pretty tough conditions on a pretty fast and bouncy pitch so 
uh, yet it wouldn't be the one I would think that Ross Taylor values as the most. I think he'll tell you that um, his 100 against um, England at Old Trafford all those years ago uh, on a dodgy pitch against a very good attack was probably, uh, in his eyes, his most valuable winnings. But it's, it's all reflective of one man's opinion. And the most beautiful thing about that rank, ranking there for me, the most beautiful thing, McCullum's 300 is behind. McCullum's 300 <laughs> behind on the list. Behind that's, you, mate. That is great. That's one you've got over him for when he comes that, back. And that's, that's uh, this, this gentleman who's put this together is a, an out-and-out Dunedin man. He's Otago through and through. Uh, so I'll just, just hold that for bragging rights, John, at some point. Thank you for that information. Um, but right here and now, uh, as I sit back and gloat, it's time for you to beat me. Beat me up. Uh, get on the phone. So 0800 150 811. Time to stump Smithy for 50 bucks from the TAB. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go, time to give away 50 bucks thanks to the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. To the Manawatu we go, and that's where we find Kerry. Good morning, Kerry. Yeah, how are you guys? Yeah, I'm doing very well, mate, very well indeed. Um, the retirement of Hamish Bond um, came coming out today. I guess, you know, um, we all expected him to hang up his oars at some point, but where do you rate him in terms of New Zealand sports men in particular, three gold medals in a row. Uh, yeah, no, definitely be probably in my top five all time. Yeah, just the work great, ethic, great, outstanding. Great, great servant, yeah, great servant for New Zealand sport. And yep. yeah, people, people wouldn't realise what sort of work ethic he's probably done over his years. Yeah, the ultimate professional. He's just uh, incredible. So... Uh, well done to him and his career, and Staffy will have him on this afternoon, so stay tuned, everyone. But more important things for you at the moment, Kerry, and that's to win the prizes. So three sporting categories, you choose one, three questions right, nothing to worry about, but as soon as you get one wrong, plenty to worry about. So, Kerry, today, rugby union, athletics, motorsport, choose one. Uh, i got rugby union, please. Rugby union. All right, it's been a while. Season's coming up. Do you miss it yet? Yeah, yeah, you're like me. A, a rugby tragic. All right, Kerry, question number one. Oh, got to start the music, don't I? There we go. Question number one. Which Argentinian star have the Crusaders brought into their squad for this year's Super Rugby season? Um, uh, and, um, was it Polo or Polo something. With... Did you did you have anything more there, Kerry? Sorry. You got a one dodgy of the worst phone line. Things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. A dodgy phone line, so I couldn't quite hear, but I think it was incorrect, Smithy. Can you stump Kerry from Manawatu? Yeah, I can. I mean, uh, uh, we've uh, talked about this guy yesterday with Jason Ryan about his impact on the squad already. Uh, Scott Robertson couldn't wait to have him join the Crusaders this year. He is really a world-class flanker. Um, he'll play on the side of the scrum for the Crusaders, obviously, and his name is Pablo Montera. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Tough to remember those names, Kerry. Unlucky, mate. Yeah. 
See you later, pal. Tim from Christchurch, you would have known that. He's your new favourite player. He is, mate, yep. He will go bloody good, I reckon, in Super Rugby. He will really enjoy it. Um, elegi- great, great addition. Yeah, eligibility. I mean, is, has he got a Kiwi parent or something? Or can we, can we get him over here? You're, you're, allowed, you're allowed one overseas player, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I think you can. I was more thinking maybe playing for the All Blacks, you know, if he lives here for a year and finds some sort of relative. No, he's already, he's, he's already, I think you've got to wait three years, don't you? And he'd he, he, he have to wait longer because he's playing Tier 1 Nations, so... God, you know more than me, Tim. You're in good form then for the quiz. So two more rugby questions and you win the prizes. Question number two. The Fijian Drua are entering Super Rugby for the first time this year. Who is their coach? Uh, oh. I know. I was thinking major, but he's the, um, he's the Samoan one. Yeah, he's uh, Moana Pacifica. Uh, oh. He's very familiar to New Zealand rugby uh, supporters. Um, is it uh, Namani Nagasaka? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. That is a hell of a name, um, but it's not. No, no, that is not the coach of the Fijian Drawer. So, Smithy, another chance for a stumping. Yeah, I think that answer was sort of semi uh, Fijian, semi Japanese. It was semi Run Rundra. But I think, I think to be perfectly honest, uh, Tim, you should have gone Australian. Um, and this is a guy who was associated with the All Blacks for a long period of time through some great regimes, um, known, known as Mick the Kick because he was the kicking coach and the catching coach for, because of his background in um, AFL. Uh, his name's Mick Byrne. Uh, very Just a couple of chips down right in the slot, and away it goes. Two in a row, Smithy on a hat-trick. It's been a while. Unlucky, Tim? No worries. Cheers, Good on you, mate. All right, Simon walking to the crease with Ian Smith on a hat-trick and one rugby question to answer. How are you feeling, Simon? Yeah, he's on a bit of a roll, isn't he? Certainly is. And uh, this one could be tricky for you. It's the last question. I'll restart the music. For all the prizes, or for nothing, game on the line. Super Rugby Opiki is just over a week away from kicking off. What is the name of the South Island franchise? You probably don't care being from Auckland. Um, get on. Um... Uh, is it must 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 do? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, oh, right in the slot, and away it goes. I don't know where you have pulled that from, but uh, you have done bloody well, mate. Which means you have won the fifty bucks from the TAB, and you've also won the Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Sleepdrops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. But read the label and take as directed, Simon. Congratulations. Thanks, John. Cheers, Billy. Yeah, well done, Simon. Outstanding. Stay on the line, and Brian will get your details, uh, and you're our winner today uh, with the double whammy. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, two, I think. I, I, look, I'll get it right by the time the competition comes around, but uh, yeah, uh, very, uh, I think it, it goes deep in, into uh, the history um, and the tradition of Maori people down south, so uh, that's the reason there. Uh, look, 
we've uh, had a big announcement this morning, uh, and I've previewed a wee bit. Uh, Hamish Bond has uh, decided that enough is enough in terms of rowing for New Zealand. Um, what are your reflections on Hamish Bond? You've got a quick chance uh, to text us, or if you'd like, 0800 150 811. Give us a quick call uh, for a, a quick a quick reflection on one of the greats of New Zealand sport. It's 11.40 here on SENZ. On SENZ, just an update that Canterbury have won the toss uh, and will bowl first uh, against Wellington, and it's the elimination match in the Super Smash. I guess Staffy will keep you updated on that uh, throughout the afternoon and uh, on the women's match as well, uh, which is the main game. Uh, a little quiet. Uh, I thought we might get a, a little bit more response, uh, John, from uh, our listeners on uh, Hamish uh, Bond and... Uh, Maybe a phone call or two, but not the case. Maybe we might try for a little bit more tomorrow when people have had a little bit more to, time to digest it and get it through their system. For me, uh, I think I'll, my memory of Hamish Bond will not probably be the eight, although it's the latest one. Uh, I think it's probably going to be the association, uh, the unbreakable association that he had uh, with Eric Murray uh, over a, a longer period of time. Uh, is that fair? Absolutely fair, Smithy. Uh, when you just think about his career, he was in the Coxless Four in 2008 and they finished 7th at the 2008 Olympics. So the next year, he thought, well, what should I do? I'll jump into a boat with this loose unit, Eric Murray, with the handlebar moustache and instantly they won the 2009 Rowing World Championships. They then, Smithy, 69 races winning every single race in a row and they never lost a race together. That streak included two Olympic gold medals, 2012, 2016 and a further seven world championships. So in terms of a peer, in terms of a team, it doesn't come close. Not even Burling and Chuk were able to do that together. Like these guys were literally unstoppable and I remember their closest rivals were this British peer who tried to race against them and beat them in 2012 in London and couldn't. And instantly after that, they went, well, we actually can't beat Bond and Murray. We're going to change boats because there's no point in being in the coxless pier because they're that unbeatable. And they were forever. Uh, and then for Bond to leave that, go to cycling, come back to the rowing eight and drag them across the line, just incredible. What an athlete and what a guy. And I think you said earlier, squeaky clean. Um, just a great role model. Yeah, A1 image, um, you can't deny that. The other thing is when you go, and we've seen a whole lot of high-profile sports people change sports just uh, to test themselves out as human beings, etc. Uh, we've seen that with the likes of Michael Jordan, of course, uh, who went from uh, basketball to baseball. Uh, here's a bloke uh, who decided, um, have I done enough in rowing? Let, let's just give me some time out to see if I get the appetite back. But in the meantime, instead of just going playing golf with my mates and uh, chilling, I might try something else. So I think I'll try cycling. Now, cyclists will tell you um, to get to a, a Commonwealth Games level takes uh, forever. It is a career sport where you build up your uh, stamina, your technique, you get the technology, uh, you get everything together at the right time. And if you're lucky enough, you shall, you absolutely shall uh, make a, a to either a Commonwealth or Olympic Games. Now, here's a bloke who did it in five minutes, basically. Not only did it in five minutes... Uh, he held the lead. He held the lead for quite some time. He sat in the central chair, and then the bigger seeds, two bigger seeds came along and knocked them off. But he still won a Commonwealth Games gold medal doing that. Um, just, just absolutely staggering. Um, you know, a, a, a huge thanks and congratulations, uh, Mike G says, uh, to Hamish Bond. But re Kyrgios' antics, no one has com commented today on Mike Venus mentioning 
in his interview that there was a, 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 a latest cricket, uh, sorry, a lost cricket is the pinnacle for me. Uh, I have to think about that. Um, I didn't see that, but there you go. I think that's uh, coming that, in that's from earlier, Smithy, when you were talking about oh, which format um, of the game do okay. you enjoy the most. Um, test cricket being oh, the pinnacle. Right. I think Maggie's having it a go at about three different topics there in one text, which is great, multitasking. Right. Yeah, okay. Um, test cricket, certainly the ultimate for me. Uh, you're right. Um, Hamish Bond, outstanding. And the Kyrgios, uh, Kyrgios one uh, also uh, with Mike, Michael Venus uh, and his comments have been hot throughout the morning. So uh, thanks for that, Maggie. I uh, appreciate you uh, getting in touch with us. Uh, yeah, and, and just I, I just I, I won't be able to get over that. Uh, the fact that you can just transcend sports, which are so different. I, I know there's uh, uh, it's, uh, stamina is involved, and that's something. I mean, his heart rate must have been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, and really, to be honest, um, you know, I, I just can't. I, I I can't think of too many guys in the last uh, 20, 30 years. Johnny's a he's a Halberg nominee. Uh, I wouldn't want to be a judge this time round because he won't be a Halberg, nom- Halberg nominee again. Uh, obviously, as he's retired. Uh, Halberg nominee, if you were in the judging panel, would you be swayed? Would you be thinking there's a bit of sentiment involved here? Yeah, well, it's going to be tough to ignore him um, now that he's pulled the curtain and you can just really reflect on what Hamish Bond has done. I know we're supposed to reflect for the Halbergs on the last two years of what people have achieved. I think Scott Dixon's in there for winning the IndyCar in 2020. I think Kane Williamson is in there for scoring a hell of a lot of runs and leading his team to the World Test Championship. Um, and yeah, and you've got a guy like Hamish Bond who's part of a rowing eight. How do you single him out and give him Sportsman of the Year? I think it's tough to do, uh, but now that we can all reflect on just what a legend he's been, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he walks up to the stage, Smithy, and grabs that Hellberg Award. Well, it might be too early, but I would be thinking about a Lifetime Achievement Award in sport, if nothing else. A Lifetime Achievement, some sort of acknowledgement there. Uh, at some point, if it's not this Halberg Awards, then certainly next year's ones, uh, you just can't go let it go unnoticed. Uh, Jared's come in and said, oh, hi guys, I saw Bond on the sports news a few weeks ago, uh, giving rally driving a go. Just wondering, he said, just wondering, says Jared. I mean, if you yeah. uh, his competitive nature and his, uh, his ability to transcend things, uh, I would be thinking that, um, uh, you know, that, that, that is uh, a possibility that he might change something completely different. Um, Gig has said, hey Smithy, can you tell me why the Super Smash Elimination Final isn't played in Christchurch, seeing as we are, we are number two on the table. Uh, John? Well, it's just the, they, they make them double headers. So they've given the women the home yeah. advantage today, which is the Otago Sparks, and then for the final, they've given the advantage to the men, which is the Northern Braves. So the Wellington Blaze will be on the road at Seddon Park in Hamilton on Saturday. So it's just the way they've done it, Gig. Unlucky, mate, but neutral venue, you should be good enough. Uh, Ken, uh, an answer to your question, not sure. Have to go back to the records on that. Not a great stats uh, keeper, so come back to you tomorrow, Ken, on the, uh, that one. Uh, we'll come back to Mark Stafford very shortly. Uh, he's got, I believe, Hamish Bond this afternoon. He'll confirm that for us after the break.